2: Welcome to New Books in Sociology. My name is Michael Johnston. I am the host of this podcast, and this is a channel on New Books Network. Today I have Alex Colas, Jason Edwards, Jane Levi, and Samuel Zubeda with me to discuss their book, Food Politics and Society, Social Theory and Modern Food Systems. Thank you for joining me today. Alex Colas is a reader in international relations at Birkbeck College, University of London, and is the director of the Postgraduate Program on International Security and Global Governance. He is the author of Empire and International Civil Society, and also the book we'll be discussing today. Jason Edwards is a lecturer in politics at Birkbeck College, University of London, and is program director of the MSC and Social... And political theory. He is the author of The Radical Attitude of Modern Political Theory and the editor of Retrieving the Big Society. Jane Levi is a visiting research fellow in history at King's College, London, and is King's Mount Vernon Fellow 2017 2018. She has contributed to numerous scholarly volumes on food, including the Oxford Companion to Sugar and Sweets and the Sage Encyclopedia of Food and Sh- Food Issues. Sammy Zubeda is Emeritus Professor of Politics and Sociology at Birkbeck College, University of London, and is a fellow of Birkbeck College, Research Associate of the London Middle East Institute, and Professorial Research Associate of the Food Studies Center at SOAS. His books include Islam, The People and the State, Political Ideas and Movements in the Middle East, and A Taste of of Time, Culinary Cultures of the Middle East. Again, thank you for joining us. Could uh, could you start off by maybe giving us a little bit of a background on, on how all of you came together to collaborate on this book?
3: Well, I'll take that one, Michael. This is Jason Edwards here. Well, we all uh, teach or have taught at Berkeley College for uh, a number of number of years, and initially there was a rather informal start to this in the sense that uh, uh, Alex and I were thinking about what kind of courses that we, we might put on. And we'd known Sammy, who is uh, now Emeritus Professor, but taught for a very long time at Birkbeck and uh, has been teaching and researching about food, particularly the food of the Middle East, for, for a very long time. And there was also a kind of informality there in the sense that we, we enjoyed many meals together, uh, including round at, at Sammy's house. Um, and this idea gradually came together uh, Really on the basis of Sammy's expertise and our sort of slightly more amateur interest uh, that we might teach a course at Birkbeck uh, on food politics and society, and then I think Alex and I were introduced to Jane by by Sammy as well. Jane has also been doing uh, a great deal of research on on uh, food and the uh, sociology of, of food and anthropology of food. Um, so that's how it began. Was with a you know a a fairly speculative attempt to, to teach a course to, to undergraduates, uh, and that was back in, I think, about 2012, 2013, uh, and we've had three or four iterations of the course since then. Uh, but we found that the students uh, liked the course very much, and I think we, we uh, came together and, and gave it uh, a coherence that originally, perhaps, we might, might not have foreseen. Uh, and through that, saw that there might be room for us to sit down together and work on a, a volume, and that then was the initial starting point for for the book. And where we coincided, I think, was in our both our interests in uh, history, the the history and politics of food, uh, but also the fact that we are all uh, teachers of, in one way or another, teachers. Of um, things that involve thinking through concepts from social theory, very broadly, very broadly speaking. Uh, I'm I'm actually a, count myself as a political theorist, but there's a there's an overlap there. I think very clearly between uh, the concepts that we employ in political theory and social theory. So it's around that theme really that we we began to build build the book thinking. Uh, conceptually, thinking about the key concepts and ideas that we were teaching on the course uh, that had to do with things like the, the social and the, the natural, uh, that had to do with uh, markets and exchange, that had to do with uh, the state and the public sphere and identity, uh, all of these concepts which we explored in a primarily historical uh, vein, uh, but also significant part of the course had, a, had an eye on contemporary issues to do with politics and society and food. And we worked through those concepts and the historical, sociological material that we, we had at our disposal for teaching the course. Uh, and hey, presto, uh, we ended up with a, with a manuscript. Uh, and uh, that was uh, finished up, I don't know, about 18 months ago now, I think. We, we had the manuscript. Uh and the book was published um just last op- October. It was October, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it no- October, November o- October, November, yeah, November last last year. So that's the kind of that's the potted potted history of the, the volume.
2: Excellent. And the interest of uh of, of food. Um why food and drink? What is uh, so social about it? Uh particularly uh I, I think Maybe in part I'm I, I'm maybe uh, applying a little bit of a, of an answer to this, but uh, uh, food seems to be extremely private. Uh, what makes it so public and, and so much more social than one, one might see uh, at first at first blush?
3: Um, well, I, th- I think that's a very good question uh, because that's often how we do think about food. It's to do with uh, to do with the biological. It's to do with bodies and reproducing bodies over time. Um, But, you know, as soon as you take the position that the food we eat is something that can only be produced through the cooperation of of many people in complex social and economic uh, systems, and of course, complex social and economic systems always require governance in one way or another, you very quickly, when you start thinking through this, realize that the production and the consumption, the distribution of food Uh, Is always reliant on these broader uh, economic and political uh, processes, institutions, and and relations. And of course, the the idea uh, that we, we, well, uh, perhaps we take for granted in everyday life, but as soon as we reflect on it, we realize that food is is deeply mediated by culture, Uh, just the way that we think about different kinds of national cuisines or ethnic cuisines. that tells you that food leaves a strong imprint on identity uh, and vice versa. The the kinds of food that we eat, the way we, we eat those foods uh, has a very important effect on people's social identity, but also on their on their political identities. And that's that's part of what we wanted to bring out um, in, in the book. So that's the sense in which I think food is always to put it in a very broad and schematic way, food is always social rather than about the individual and uh, individual biology.
2: And one of the things that uh, uh, you and your colleagues brought out in your uh, in your in your book is uh, the concept of we are what we eat. Are we what we eat, or is it an ongoing negotiation that occurs between the social construction of Food and our gastronomy uh versus what we eat creating us as um as an a person as an identity as a race or whatever else it, it may be based on what we eat
1: um i think it's it's all of the above um that the simplicity of the the notion that we are what we eat is actually um incredibly complicated and filled with all those layers should you choose to look at them. Um, So there's obviously a a biological imperative, um, but there's almost nothing that is inedible, but there are many different ideas about what is edible. So a gastronomic body is a very different um, body to... um, Uh, other kinds of body that are defined so um...
4: well if I may come in um, Mm. yes Uh, I mean you are what you eat also in the cultural and social sense uh, in that uh, what you eat is very much tied up with your style of life with your social networks with your uh, evaluation of your status in society with your um, economic capabilities and your income and wealth, uh, a way in which all these elements in your social and cultural being are signaled by the kind of food that you eat and the uh, cultural context within which you eat it and the way in which you conceive and conceptualize and broadcast uh, what your uh, gastronomic Profile is and how that relates to, uh, to to your social status and to your cultural being,
1: and I think also it um, it becomes a way of of others judging you. Um, it can be almost an accusation um, in in um, sort of public health terms that you know if you are ill or if you are the wrong kind of body for the social. Um, the society you're in then you are what you eat and you have made poor choices and you have eaten the wrong things um, so it's uh it's it can be used very negatively as well as um, this
4: is particularly topical now uh, in all our societies because fat is an issue and the whole idea of the body and health and what fat does and The kind of stereotypes of uh, different body types uh, is very much a very live uh, social issues in the news, in the media at the present time. And and the book delves into that uh, in a detailed way and uh, sums up the uh, literature and the various kind of theories that uh, revolve around it.
2: And the tribalism that is associated with food, I, if I remember correctly, one of the uh, tribes that you had mentioned was an African tribe where the women would go into uh, into a, a feeding ritual prior to marriage. and and uh, that is really the cultural construct, the uh, how culture deals with food and based on the definition and the meaning that is associated with such food and drink within uh, tribes across the globe
5: yeah i mean i I think' I'll take picking up on your on your last point, one of the points that we make in the book is that one of the the dominant ways of understanding food is through a national or ethnic identity, and the chapter in the book uh, that deals with these themes raises the argument that um we're we're invited as individuals and as collectivities to homogenize standardize um, identifying, in the literal sense, certain types of ethnic or national foods. So there's, there's a dynamic process uh, involved, which we really highlight throughout the book. I mean, the, the book suggests that there's um, something very specific in the modern period that happens to all societies but affects uh, the consumption, production, preparation of food and drink. Um, and that is that there's a transformation, a radical transformation, revolution of uh, the the those various dimensions of production, consumption, preparation. Um, there's also stratification that goes with it. Um, mentioned some of the ways in which distinction is created amongst classes, amongst genders, amongst ethnic groups. But uh, critically, this is uh, also part of the dynamic process. There's a globalization. There's a geographical expansion of different food identities and a mixture of uh, varieties of uh foodstuffs and um and and drinks, which means that through the past four or five hundred years, by uh through force or through choice, and, and often the two are, are difficult to, to disentangle, um, different collectivities, be they the uh kind of um African women uh that you're describing uh in perhaps a more rural context Uh, Of kinship, or be it the you know hipsters uh, in uh, some of the global cities, have to deal with uh, deliberately, uh, consciously or not, have to engage with all those uh, various factors, change, um, distinction, and also the fact that they're in 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 entangled in wider uh, transnational uh, relations. I think one of the
4: important elements to consider here is the uh, wide-scale movement of populations in the modern period, you know, since the 19th century, and the migrations uh, that have happened internationally and the diasporas. Uh, So in the Americas, uh, for instance, you have a a large array of um, uh, people from all over the world, including many parts uh, of Europe. Uh, And these people now, uh, given that there are different ethnic and national communities uh, in many of the uh, global cities in uh, Europe and America and and elsewhere, uh, and all these have their own groceries and restaurants and food writers and food broadcasts and what have you. So now you have an international stage on which different ethnicities and nationalities are sort of presenting their food and competing with one another, and also claiming different items of food as their own national or ethnic uh, property. And in the process, uh, transforming uh, these uh, cuisines, uh, both in their diasporic locations, but also with feedback into their countries of origin. So, in fact, uh, one argument being presented by a historian of uh, Italian food is to say that the, the, that Italian food, which is famous for its diversity of its uh, of its regional nature, is really developed as a national Italian food in the diaspora context of the Americas, both in the in North America and in places like Argentina and Brazil. And then you know presented to the world in the way in which it has developed uh, in these diasporic contexts.
2: And that brings up a, a concept that uh, I find quite interesting, and, and that's the a concept of authenticity. And what is authentic food then in a in a world of of social um, of social omnivores, people who are accessing a variety of foods. Uh, maybe at the at the higher economic statuses, just more of those uh, of those foods.
3: Yeah, authenticity. So, what is what is food authenticity today? I, think I see.
2: Food
4: authenticity. Well, I mean, food authenticity is you know people claim uh, various things as authentic. What, how they are? You know, how do they relate historically? Uh, is is a different matter, and to whom do they belong? I mean, one example that we have in the book uh, is this uh, kind of gastronomical food area um, which is now becoming globally famous. And that's what's called the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, and which is really uh, southern part of Turkey, of Anatolia, uh, parts of Greece and Cyprus, and the Arab Levant, uh, Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, and now Israel. Uh, and this uh that area has sort of common food themes uh and indeed other common cultural themes uh and but it has multiple ethnicities so within that area you have turks and kurds and arabs and greeks and armenians um uh, they all more or less share in this uh food repertoire uh and then once you get into the international stage of globalization and diasporas, then each of these ethnicities can claim the food as their own, um, which, you know, which is fine, but uh, you know, in, in actual fact, it's really to do much more with geography than it is to do with ethnicity. It is that particular region uh, that had a distinctive food culture which was shared
0: That's shopify.com slash system.
5: I think if if I can just add another angle to this, uh, and it relates to something that Jason opened up at the beginning and and is central to to actually one of the first chapters of the book, that is the the relationship between the social and the natural. Uh, It seems to me that in our period in particular, um, 21st and 20th century, authenticity is often associated to the natural. Uh, And yet what we highlight in the book is that uh, the natural is itself social. Uh, And I think this is manifest in foodstuffs. If you think, for instance, of the way in which all kinds of social and political institutions naturalize foodstuffs or drink through uh, denominations of origin would be an example. Um, An institution like the European Union, I'm sure that in the US, uh, the USDA would be another example um, a whole bunch of other public authorities, including local authorities, the state um, uh, 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 entities that that regulate standards, create the notion of a uh, full fat or a um, authentic or a, a natural product. Um, in other words, we need all this infrastructure of Identifying the natural, marking it with a particular register, um, and and giving it that that quality through deeply social and political institutions, and I think that's one way of of thinking of authenticity in a paradoxical way uh, as something that it, that is manufactured. And I, I say that's that's
3: right when we're uh, Alex is pointing to this link between perceptions of the natural and. And authenticity, and that's that's one way in which, if you want to broaden the question out, people try and find the, the authentic in, in the modern world. Uh, many respects, that's a feature of modernity, or even you might see it as a reaction to modernity, this, this quest for what is what is authentic. Um, but also, just to follow up on what Alex was saying there, it's, it's very interesting how the question of authenticity what Alex and sammy were saying—the question of authenticity has, has um, come to be identified with something that's recently being coined, gastro-nationalism. Um, so it's the in a way it's a fairly old idea. It's the the idea that you can uh, identify a nation with its cuisine uh, and with particular dishes that uh, form the the substance of that cuisine, uh, whether it's you know fish and chips in the in the United Kingdom, uh, though of course now there's a, a debate on whether that is the national dish here or rather it's chicken tikka masala. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you do get this idea of identification between the nation and, and what it eats, and that is actually playing quite a significant role in the what we might think of as a resurgence of nationalism in, in recent years and kind um, of populist nationalism. So it's a reclamation of identity through restoring our authentic foods and, and ways of, of eating, um, and there's something of a, of a tension there between I think the, the movements that wanted to restore this link between authenticity and the natural, like the slow food movement, for example, in a country like like Italy, and actually these much more nationalist uh, conceptions of, of what it means to. Uh, be a member of a a nation uh, that can
2: be you know indexed to the kinds of food that you that you eat, and that brings up food symbolism, the uh, message that is projected, the definition that is projected, uh, based on what food has been created as, almost creating a, an environment uh, with the food that is associated with a a city or a country. Uh, one of the interesting uh, symbolisms that I think you brought out in the book is with religion and uh, what wine or or grape juice symbolizes within the church and the bread.
1: yeah, indeed. I mean, I suppose one of the the things that we we talk about throughout the book is that that food is not simply an item to eat. Um, it's not ever just what it looks looks like it is on on the tin um, so we project um and in the way that we've talked about already in in terms of identity and nationalism and so on um we project any idea that we that is important to us onto the the object of everyday life and food is so fundamental to to our bodies and our being that that i think it's a it's a rich source for for that kind of projection, um, and it's also a really useful um, mode of control. So um, it's it's a handy thing to construct rules around if you wish to run a system in which you you have people obeying specific rules, um, and I guess where foods concerned, that's not restricted to religious movements, but they do provide us with very convenient and structured and documented examples that we can use to think about those those ideas
2: all right and some other things that uh well one other thing that was brought up uh in this book is the uh is the the diets and whether there's uh a, a single uh true uh method or if these are all just just uh cultural construction, social constructions to to get people to desire certain food groups. Could you talk a little bit more on that?
1: Yes. I mean I suppose biologically it's clear that, you know, we we require certain a certain balance of inputs. Um, you know, you can't to, to use another cliched phrase, you know, man cannot live on bread alone because we need variety. We need different different elements and so on Um, but I think if you're referring to the part of the book where we talk about um, national guidelines for for what people ought to eat in order to be healthy then yes I think it's a it's a very um, very conflicted area because just by the very nature of of looking at a few of them, we can see that um, different groups think that a a healthy diet is is something specific for them that is different to to what others require. Um, And I think we also see that the the bodies who um, who are putting together these advisory guidelines Are themselves influenced by what they understand their culture to be, to the extent that they might feel they know what people ought to do, i.e. never eat any junk food or um, limit sugar to a few grams a day, but they don't, in a way, dare to put that advice into practice because they feel so so sure that the culture will not accept those, those recommendations. So there's a lot of compromise um, in in what people will advise based on how they think that people will receiving advice will will accept it or not, um, and and those ideas are are coming from from our culture.
2: And at the end of the day, I think uh, value associated with food has a lot to do with exchange and 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 the mobility of food from one nation to the next, and uh that, in some sense, it's it's some level of nationalism, but also globalism in the same sense of how that food is identified, how it's valued uh, based on where it's coming from, based on uh, the cultural narratives that are associated with those places in which they are delivered or extracted from. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about the Colombian exchange and mer- uh, mercantilism?
5: yeah uh so there's there's a there's actually two chapters in the book that are interconnected uh the first one that you you mentioned is the colombian exchange um a a well known phrase uh that refers to that exchange of uh, of goods of livestock uh, of people and what people brought with them of course um great things like languages and different kind of uh, religious or cosmological views but also bad things. Uh, like uh, disease and um, and most importantly for us uh, power structures, so throughout the book, we emphasize i think I mentioned this just a minute ago our global globalist disposition i mean we we say very explicitly that it 's impossible to think of the modern food system without thinking of the transnational uh, and since the Colombian exchange of the fifteenth century onwards, the global uh, exchange of, of, of foodstuffs. But what we're also very keen to emphasize is that that exchange is not neutral. It's uneven, it's unequal, uh, it's protracted. Um, in, in the book, uh, we actually use the, the example of the potato, for instance, which um, un, unquestionably has had a, a, a global effect um, as a major staple, major uh, Source of uh, calorific intake, particularly for popular classes for peasants and subsequently workers, but the history of the diffusion of the potato globally is is actually quite uh, staggered um in fact it, it it comes to the rest of uh eurasian world um through um different in in in, in stops and in, in stops and starts initially not accepted as. As a comestible for for humans, but mainly fodder for animals, um, and really on on most accounts, it's not until the late eighteenth century that it becomes uh, extend, extensively used as a as a, as a staple. Uh, and of course, we have historical examples of um, close to monoculture uh, in the case of the, the plantation of of potatoes in in the uh, in, in the Irish colony, in, in Ireland as a colony, which um, had great consequences for the subsequent history of, of that island and indeed uh, Britain through the uh, the potato famine of the mid-19th century. So um, exchange is absolutely central to the contemporary food system. It generates um, an intensification of processes that had happened prior to the 16th century, um, namely the uh, the admixture of, of foodstuffs of um, the combination of techniques the um, the experimentation in different kinds of of uh, tastes and, and concoctions but uh, and it generates wonderful wonderful uh, abundance of food in, in, in many respects um, again the the uh, one thinks uh, of the history of uh, European gastronomy over the past four or 500 years, and it's impossible not to find traces of American uh, staples, be it the tomato, or the potato, or uh, all kinds of, of of corn, obviously, all kinds of very important uh, food subs that have contributed to uh, our, our culinary, our global culinary um, cuisine. But the, the, the critical thing here from, from our perspective, what brings a distinctive political and social dimension is that as Jane was saying earlier, food is never just um, something that we ingest. Food and drink are not merely uh, fuel, they carry all kinds of social and political attributes that uh, involve power, that involve identity, uh, that involve I- inequality. Uh, and that's why the subtitle of the book is Brings in Social Theory. Uh, our proposition is that in order to understand, the rich admixture of foodstuffs and cuisines through this global exchange, uh, we need to also factor in concepts like um, Michel Foucault's notion of biopower or uh, Marx's notion of exploitation uh, or um, Mary Douglas's uh, understandings of, of how uh, there are different codings to the way in which food is, is prepared prohibitions, taboos. Um, so. Um, to summarise this this part of of of, uh, of of the discussion, I think that what what we're what we're bringing to the table, if you'll excuse the pun, is the the, the notion that uh, it's all very well celebrating. We should celebrate uh, the hybridity of of foods, the fusion cuisines, the fact that uh, food and drink are now uh, on a global stage. As Sammy was talking about earlier, but our, our proposal is that in order to really get to the bottom of the social and political impact of this, we need uh, the canon of, social, of modern social theory. We need the, the grammar of, of concepts that we have available and, and that is indeed developing uh, in order to, to really get to the, to the bottom of, of the impact of, of these exchanges.
2: And that even goes a step deeper. Not only the food that is produced, but the uh, the ritual is holistic. It's not just the food that is being uh, that is being uh, produced, but also the rituals carried out when when consuming that food,
1: yeah. and and the language used to talk about it. And I mean, I suppose in a way that refer that can refer back to the discussion earlier about authenticity, um, <coughs> but. It, it applies to all sorts of language we use to to talk about food and and the implicit judgments that are layered within those those ideas so you know who decides that authenticity is even a good thing in the first place who decides what actually is authentic um, what what my idea of what an authentic you know, loaf of bread is will be very different mm. to almost everyone else's, and um, who's who's wrong, um, and and why does it matter? So, I think, yeah, all of those questions um come into that idea about um about how we serve food and who gets what, and um, and when and where, yes. I
4: think, uh, I think If we look at the historical dimension to the question of authenticity and how people uh, think about food, I was very struck to uh, read uh, a book about uh, the food of France, which was written in the 1930s, 1940s, and to see how uh, so many items of French food are transformed now, even though they may be called by the same by the same words, by the same labels. They are so completely transformed by new ingredients or different ingredients, by different methods, uh, uh, methods of preservation, methods of the uh, kitchen technology, and what have you. And yet, people still cling to the old labels and think of their food as being authentic in terms of historical continuity. Yeah, that was always like this. But in actual fact, you know, within within a half a century it was the food was transformed, but still people thought of it in terms of the authentic historical type of food.
1: Yeah. They sort of believe it has a meaning and yeah. um, but that meaning sort of <coughs> secretly changes over time. Um and And becomes you know the language is, is changed, the objects are changed by their their place in in consumer societies. so these are these are all on another level, they're all marketing messages. Um, so you know you you may only have access to the authentic if you can afford to pay for it um.
2: I think it serves uh, both the opposing forces. It, it uh, food brings solidarity, but then also um, results in inequalities as well. Uh, I often think of maybe Ray Oldenburg and great good places, and and uh, food and drink serving as a uh, as a thing to manifest and bringing people together, uh, creating community. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, it it does
3: both of those things and what's what's interesting in a way uh, and this is reflected in a couple of chapters in the book on the public sphere and also partly on on the modern state and, and alcohol is the way in which spaces which are in many respects designed to reinforce inequality whether that be Inequality or segregation or exclusion in terms of class or, or gender or, or race, um, those spaces of consumption can be transformed and subverted by the very practices of, of sociable eating that goes on um, in them. Uh, so we we talk in the in the book about the gin craze in London in the in the nineteen uh, sorry not nineteen what am I talking about in the in the uh, 18th century in the early 18th century uh and how there was an attempt to to crack down on what was seen as the fundamental moral problem of people uh drinking particularly women should be said drinking far too much gin uh, and part of that involved um getting rid of the the old spaces of sociable drinking where men and women would openly drink drink together um and as a result of that, later on in the 18th century, and the 19th century, there's creation of new spaces of drinking, which are um, segregated, internally segregated. So you find, you know, the people think of the sort of classic London pub, the Victorian pub, the Gin Palace, as internal segregation of rooms. And initially uh, that was designed to keep uh, working class men away from middle class people and to keep women and men away from, from each other. But actually, these uh, sites of drinking uh, themselves generated new forms of political identity, including quite radical political identities, um, which challenged the kind of, you know, supposedly inherent conservatism of the Victorian age. Um, So it's interesting how spaces which are designed to keep people apart, to keep them unequal, actually can become uh, places where solidarity and identity Political identities can be, can be formed which challenge the existing order of things.
1: And then the commensality yep. assists that,
3: yes, that, that development. Yeah, that idea of commensality, of you know, being, being together at a table and you know, primarily eating together, but that leads to, to other kinds of things. And those, those things can include the formation of you know, groups which have uh, political intent.
2: This conversation has been a, a joy to have and I, again I appreciate having you on the show. unfortunately it has come that time where uh, we have to, to bring our conversation to a close. What are the next steps? what, what are all of you working on now? Oh,
3: yeah. various kinds of kinds of things I mean we hope to keep going in one form or another with, with the course we're teaching here at uh, um, uh, a couple of us are working on something that's going on over here in the UK at the moment called Brexit, uh, and the implications that that has for, for food, uh, the way that we produce and consume food here in the UK and our relationship with the European Union. Uh, and then, well, uh, others may be able to speak for themselves about what they're, what they're doing in terms of their food work.
4: Well, I, I'm writing various papers, and particular thing I'm interested in at the moment uh, is the uh, ideas and descriptions of French food in the anglo saxon world both britain and america uh from you know in, in the very different stages in the twentieth century and how that has changed and how uh you know different uh, kind of from French food as utopia to uh french food is uh a critical, uh, in a critical decline uh, that many writers have uh, in, in more recent years, and to, to see what the food was that they were describing and how the ideologies of uh, national cuisines uh, emerged from that.
1: And I'm working on two um Projects. One of them is working on the Georgian papers that, um, with colleagues at, at Kings College London, um, so thinking there about the link between the development of statesmanship and and the the, um, the non royal and slightly less elite um, statesman in that period. And my contribution is thinking about the role of food in such diplomatic and um social activity and to um to to move away from the intellectual slightly um my one of my biggest interests is in utopianism and food and i have a project i've set up a co-op with a with a group of colleagues and we have a project um at somerset house a big building in london where we are we're doing some urban food growing as a a Utopian art and and culture project. So um, every now and again, I'm to be found in the coal, the former coal holes of Somerset House, um, growing oyster mushrooms.
5: And finally, I, I've got very little to say. I'm, I'm working with Jason on the Brexit thing, but my my main interest is in internationalism, um, and I think that one of the ways in which uh, food crosses that. And I'm I'm trying to educate myself and build a body of knowledge that might eventually uh, become something else is, is the cross section between food and empire. I mean, it's a massive uh, arena, but I'm, I'm very interested in, in to coin a phrase, the, the creative destruction of imperial experiences of modern imperial experiences and how we have both uh, the, the the kinds of uh, domination of oppression that I've referred to, but also um, a sort of subversion of the codes of, of the, the racial and, uh, and national codes of empire uh, with, with the uh, emergence of Creole uh, foods and uh, hybrid foods. Um, So hopefully that will, uh, that will uh, emerge in in future years.
2: Well, thank you for joining uh, me today on this podcast. This has been an episode of new books in sociology. Again, we're a channel on new books network. Have a great day. Thank you very much.